Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In season three, we explore the tension between faith and experience and tease this out as a distinction between faith and relationship. This dovetails well with our value for intimacy with God and encourages us to explore what we can expect a relationship with God to mean for individuals and communities intentionally practicing the presence of God. This week and next, we're joined by Michael Ford, author of The Sixth Solar. In this week's episode, we get to know Michael by diving into his early experience of God and hearing a bit about his life story and his journey towards writing his book. So, Michael, it's been really great to be chatting with you. This is the, the joy of a, of a global, digitally connected age where we can uh, literally run into each other as strangers on the interwebs and then end up uh, in conversation around things that connect us. So we're really grateful that you'd give up the time to, to chat with us on the podcast here. So welcome. We've, uh, we've been exploring a couple of key questions with guests. For Tim and I, one of the, the main areas that we've been exploring is this, this idea of the, of the personhood of God, of the presence of God, and of our actual, our relating to God, our relationship with God. And so we love to begin right at the beginning and ask our guests just to, to take us through some of their history, um, a little bit of their story, what brings them to where they are now, but specifically with emphasis around early experiences of God. And so if you'd love to tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what brings you to where you are now, but we'd also really love to put our fingers on what were your earliest experiences of God, your, your earliest memories, what were those moments like, what happened, what didn't happen, etc. And so if that's a, enough of a rough sketch to go to, to kick off on, then uh, over to you, Mike. My early experiences with God, right. That's, um, I'll, I'll get into that. I'll just, I'll just preface, though, and say that my earlier, early experiences weren't like life-changing. <laughs> so... So my I come the youngest of four children and, and grew up in the Chicago area, Midwest, United States. My dad is from uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and he comes from an Irish Catholic background. And he was also the youngest in his family. And none of his brothers went to college except for my dad could play basketball. So he ended up at Northwestern University in Chicago in the 1940s. He was started in 1940, but then World War II broke out. So he joined them. He, he got pulled into the Marine Corps and finished later in the 40s after the war and met my mother. And my mother was Presbyterian. Of course, this is 10 or 15 years before I existed. I came along in 1961 and born into the family and observing. I had uh, two older sisters and an older brother. They were six, eight, and 10 years older than me. And, and I mentioned these details a bit because I'm coming to learn that birth order, all kinds of uh, things that happen in early childhood have such a big influence on us. So I, I give you that background for that purpose. And so my dad was Roman Catholic and he felt strongly about his um, sticking to that. Uh, he was actually kicked out of the church because my mother refused to raise us Catholic. So that was the 1950s view of uh, Roman Catholicism. And my, my dad, being Irish Catholic, he, 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 he made his way around that. He still attended, even though he wasn't officially in the church. And later in life, I kind of laugh at all that experience. And, but my dad did get into good graces after I was born, because he did agree to raise all future children after me, Roman Catholic. 
And unfortunately, nobody else came after me. (laughs) 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 I would have loved to seen, I would have loved to seen the fifth one be raised Roman Catholic with the (laughs) with the rest of us. And, And my mom's kind of an intellectual thinker. And so she compromised. She's thought, well, we're not going to raise the kids Presbyterian, but let's raise them Lutheran. So, because <laughs> so, so Lutheran was the the compromise closer to Roman Catholicism, and I all this stuff I can look back and there's um, I'm reminded of a uh, I think it's Soren Kierkegaard says something like something like life can only be understood backwards, but has to be lived forward. So I obviously have a lot of insight now on what was going on when I was a child that I had no idea at the time. So I was the youngest raised in the Lutheran church. So my early experiences with God were, why is my dad going to his own church? And why am I going to this church? And why did we talk about families and how important, you know, fathers are? And I look around and go, well, my dad's not here. So so my experiences were filled with questions and frustrations and wondering, like, why is this going on? And I finished the, the, the policy of the family was you get confirmed in the Lutheran church. So every denomination has their, their thing and the Lutherans love confirmation. So at about eighth grade, which is probably 14 years old, either way, um, I learned a lot about Martin Luther as a child, wondering why are we talking about this um, ugly looking German guy <laughs> from, from the 1500s all the time. <laughs> But I didn't really enjoy all that. I was kind of very confused, perhaps. Got the confirmation, left church at 14, just thought, what was that all about? It didn't impact my daily life. It was more of a duty, and I carried on. But then my my actual experience with God started at a grocery store. My first job when I was 16, so I basically was finding my way and listening to like how Christianity is just really not true and atheism and high school friends. But then I went to this grocery store and I worked with a woman who's probably, I don't know, two or three years older than me. And she just had this positive spirit and the way she interacted with customers and employee, you know, fellow employees and things. And it was just, she was very curious. And I was like, what's, what's with this woman? And she said, well, I'm born again, you know? And so that was when I first kind of learned about, I was, I'm born again. And, and so now that I have a relationship with Christ and I understand God. I actually love people now. <laughs> so, so, so I said, Oh, you mean this, all this religious stuff kind of boils down to, can we love people? Is that what it is? You know? And so it was very attractive to me, you know, to, to see that it was probably in the Lutheran upbringing, but it just didn't mean anything to me. You know, I probably heard about it because you can't not go to church that much and not hear John three sixteen or, John three and Nicodemus and things. So I, this is, this is also one of my thoughts on faith is that it really is the Holy spirit that brings to, to understanding the faith. You know, we can, you know, intellectualize, uh, do apologetics and try to prove that the Bible is true and all these things, but it it really is the, the Holy spirit that opened my eyes. I do feel like I was born again at that point. And then it, w- it was kind of like everything started to make sense because that's kind of the the the, the peak of my, of my early Christian experience. Thanks, Michael. That's that's great. That's an awesome start. So, the the woman in the grocery store that you're talking about was 
when you you're referring to to that interaction are you are you speaking specifically around sort of person to person interaction in the horizontal because then you speak about the holy spirit is is there also for you moments of the vertical interaction specifically sort of god drawing close to you in in the form of the holy spirit or you know um that sort of idea of interacting directly with god or was there was there a sense of of that happening in and amongst the relationship or this connection with this woman and this shift in understanding because um, it's it's sort of two things feeling like they're they're sort of woven together there and i just wondered if we we're able to tease that out at all without me trying to project into the moment as i'm thinking through um what's what's your feelings in terms of the vertical as opposed to the horizontal or the mix of those as i hear coming through in in your discussions of those of that sort of turning point for you in, in some of your experience oh yeah that makes sense and and really um I mean, this is what is great about the urban mystic. Both of you two, you ask great questions. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> That's very kind of you. Thank you. And I, I hope I hope the listeners, you know, really enjoy and, and are blessed or encouraged by the way you ask questions. So there was a horizontal element. You know, I'm 16. I'm a you know a, a, with tes testosterone and hormones raging, right? And so there was a horizontal part of it. And, and she was, I don't know, three years older. And so we, there was a little bit of romantic interest there, but, but so we spent a lot of time together, of course, you know, either at, of course, at work, a little bit outside of work, I got to see her family. And, and so my family, I, I had my, I didn't go into the details, but of all the things going on in my family, but even for the listeners, it's, it's like, we all, every, everyone listening, you all have your history, your background, and it does have an influence on you. So I, I kind of lacked a lot of feelings of love and acceptance in my family because it wasn't just like me it was the dynamics in the family which were rather complicated um but and then the vertical part so this woman of course is you know she wants to live out her faith so she's on her journey and the point was a phone call at one point and she was guiding me through some scriptures about being born again and that i had to be born again and and so it was on the phone that I had this vertical experience where I'm like, okay, I get it. This all makes sense now. So, so that, that's how I would answer the question of like, was it all horizontal or all vertical? It was a mix. And I look back on that and say, well, that, that was the moment where it came together. Um, and I, I trusted her guidance in the scriptures because I had this horizontal relationship with her too but it wasn't it wasn't like it was it was kind of strange how it turned out to be on the phone <laughs> so maybe i needed to like not have that horizontal distraction while i was going through that process i don't know so basically our horizontal relationship ended when i went off to university she was content and enjoyed working at the this grocery store and i think she probably lived her whole life with the grocery store and she in a horizontal disappointment to me she fell in love with a, a store manager and it wasn't me. I wasn't a store manager. So she, she carried on and she just encouraged me and said, Michael, you're, you need to go to university. You need, you, you are smart and you're going to go do an engineering degree and you're not going to work in a grocery store. So, so I kind of went down that path. And so that started another journey in my, my life uh, and going to university and working out my new born again faith 
at 16, 17, as I move forward without her. Right. So she's stayed behind and, um, and, uh, married somebody. And I just left lost track of her completely. So I probably won't see her again until we're in heaven. So I don't, I don't know where, where she is right now. And that, uh, tell me a little bit more about that moment on the phone. I'd love to dig into that a little bit. So you use the phrase, it just made sense. Right. Right. When, when you use that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a short little phrase that I imagine encompasses quite a bit. And, and I wonder what was that moment like? Is there, is there a sense of just an internal sort of restructuring around kind of a set of statements, belief statements? Is there a sense of, of, a, of a divine presence that's drawing near? Um, just take that a little further for me, unpack that. It, it just made sense. What, was, what did that feel like as the moment there? I don't know if it's exactly these passages, but it, whenever I read Nicodemus talking to Jesus, just talking about how we must be born again and born of the spirit. And I probably read those words intellectually, but at that moment, I think I felt like this is real. It, it's, this is, this is what the spirit is. And that's why I'm probably fascinated by this whole concept of the Holy spirit. Cause I, I think I sensed it, but it's hard to just speak on a podcast or tell somebody like, Oh yeah, you know, here's the Holy spirit. It came upon me. <laughs> and it's, it's just not it, the words. We can say those words, but um, to experience it. And it wasn't like, like I heard trumpets blaring <laughs> or anything or, or music, <laughs> you know, you know, or angels singing or anything at that moment. It was just, wow. I've been at church for, you know, I, I'm kind of, in, I know a little bit about Roman Catholicism. I was forced through the Lutheran thing. I know these scriptures and, I, and it was probably was the horizontal element too, that, you know, this stuff, this teaching is about changing our hearts and our attitudes towards others. And this woman demonstrated that to me, not just with me, but I could just, you know, when you work alongside somebody and you see how they interact with all the customers at the store and, you know, you just have hours of time together, you know, so I'm a big, I really love workplace event. I don't, I don't like the word evangelism, by the way, but <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, uh, opinionated about things, but it's, it's kind of like the workplace faith um, exchange, I guess you'd say, or, or sharing of the faith. Cause I, evangelism to me is more like trying to sell somebody and close the deal or something like that. <laughs> and then go and buy some crocodile shoes so that you can look the part. Curiously, it is a term that is being picked up by companies like Adobe, who do a lot of like design-related software stuff. They they have Adobe evangelists, which uh, essentially are, are product promoters and salespeople. Really, <laughs> I had a friend who was a Microsoft evangelist for a while. That always confused me till I asked him <laughs> to explain the concept to me. And then I wasn't sure if I was more or less confused after that. But anyway, so so Michael, you you sort of hit pause there, and you said, and then the the kind of the story continues. Um, yeah, I would love for you to carry on, and take us forward. Were there were there other moments, um, experiences of God, or where does the rest of your story take you? So I, I think I had a really solid beginning with this this uh, 16, 17 year old experience of of the Holy spirit and being born again. And 
you know, I was kind of directed to get involved in some uh, more, I guess you'd say evangelical view. And I don't even like words are really tough for me, like to, to just accept them. And uh, to say evangelical is kind of hard for me to just because it's so simplistic or it means something different to everybody probably. But so I got involved in churches and organizations. I went off to a quote unquote secular university because, you know, I was kind of torn. Like most, I I went to a new church. It was actually called evangelical free church in town, which, which, um, you know, the preaching and the message felt like something that was a good fit. And and it's a good organization, but again, they're Scandinavian Norwegians and Swedes that probably came to Minnesota, you know, so then we get into all this cultural stuff. So um, good church. And then I went to University of Illinois in Champaign and was studying mechanical engineering. And I got involved in an organization called the Navigators, which is another American thing. And it turns out it was like World War II Navy veterans and they love navigation and they're, uh, they're big on discipleship, you know, making disciples. Um, I, and I, I, I'm kind of a Kool-Aid drinker in reality, right? So a a Kool-Aid drinker kind of like, okay, here's the group I'm in and this is what they believe. And I, I kind of go along with it until I don't, I guess. So I did four years of the navigators did door to, I was living in, it was ironically, my dad got, got me set up in a Roman Catholic dormitory of all places, Newman house in Illinois. And there's like, so you came back home to the Catholics. That's a well, I didn't really go back to it, but it was like, I needed, no, I'm just kidding. I needed a place to live. So, so that was, I spent four years knocking on doors of Roman Catholics, telling them they need to be born again, you know? And so, so that was my, my wilderness was, I was starting out in the wilderness, although I was being told that I was right about everything, you know? So there's this being right about doctrines and beliefs was, uh, you know, it's easier to, to, to drink the Kool-Aid than to, you know, be independent, especially when you're 20, 19, 20, 21 years old. So I went through four years of that. And I actually learned a lot about the Bible. Their, their major thing is memorizing scripture. So um, I really got to know the Bible, but I got to know it like in, in like two verses at a time here and there. It was always like with some implied agenda behind the two verses, right? So um, I didn't realize that at the time, but that's kind of, you know, you get these little cards and you memorize a verse. So I, I kind of knew the Bible and it, it has served me well, that foundation. But I kind of left that after four years and got involved and in, back into engineering. And so now I go through and, and I uh, start working in nuclear power plants around Chicago, of all things. And then was back at the Evangelical Free Church, which I liked. I met a woman there eventually and got married and she was from Wisconsin. So you got Chicago is the big city in the Midwest and Wisconsin's like the playground for all the people in Chicago that want to go and play and be outside and hunt and shoot and those kind of things. So she was from the country, but uh, her background, her parents were German immigrants after World War II, uh, a little bit later uh, in the fifties. But uh, so she had a, and I always was interested in travel. I studied French as a child and I was always curious about international things and getting around. And, um, I had, I did, I did have an opportunity to go to France for about eight weeks and be humbled, you know, be the one American in a French company and get beat up for being an American. Um, so my wife and I got married and then we went to Arizona 
and I got switched careers to aerospace, aircraft engines, early 90s. And then the Germans reunified. And so that was done. And they created a company to make an aircraft engine. And so I was like, my wife's fluent in German. I like going, I want to go to Europe and, and I'd like to travel, but I always like the company to pay for it instead of me. I'm real cheap. So, so I got an all expense paid trip to Germany, worked there for five years, which also had an influence on me because Wittenberg, which is where, you know, all good Lutherans would know is where, where Martin Luther is. And it's about an hour and a half from Berlin. It was in the former East Germany. So it was really run down in the early nineties. In fact, there was some really nice graffiti on the church wall. When I showed up in 1997, there was a, a Bart Simpson cartoon on the wall that said, eat my shorts. And I thought that was great. Only problem is I didn't have a digital camera. I only had a regular camera. So I'm still looking for that photo. <laughs> it's kind of the shorthand version of Lisa's 95 thesis. <laughs> yeah. And, and even much of his later work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I did five years in Germany, loved it. It was a great experience. All kinds of thoughts come out of it, come back to the United States. And that's where I got involved with a, a Southern Baptist church. I didn't know it was Southern Baptist because we're out in Arizona. So you guys are, I don't know if, if you spend enough time in the United States, you kind of get a feel for the Bible Belt, which is Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. So I don't talk Southern. I mean, I'm not from the Bible Belt. Nothing wrong with it, but they have their own, you know, kind of cultural thing so there's a there's a southern baptist church in phoenix arizona and we're like the desert right we're, we don't we're really kind of a crazy um, culture here in phoenix because there's like five million people here but they're like 50 years ago they were only like five hundred thousand or something right so because the air conditioning became so prevalent prevalent um there's a lot more people here because we have air conditioning so <laughs> it's just too, it's too hot here from june till september so so uh there's a southern baptist church which i didn't know and the pastor was a football player from los angeles so he he had no allegiance to the you know atlanta georgia bible belt um culture he retired in about 2013 and we got a new young pastor that came in and he was all all about the the organization, the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and so I, I mentioned that not because I want to bash the Southern Baptist Convention, but it, it kind of is my thing because it's like there's I, I, my book that I kind of stumbled on this subtitle is we've done 500 years of reformation and I'm frustrated because I don't feel like any of these denominations really have it figured out and they probably, they never will, of course. So what's important? And it's like, well, Michael, you need to transform yourself and just be more fruitful in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, uh, goodness, self-control, the whole fruit of the spirit. So that's kind of my view right now is we've done enough reformation. It's we, we got to go back and each of us have that personal relationship with God back to the that Holy Spirit back to my 16, 17 year old self, where it was just, wow, you know, this is it born again. As I listen to your story, it, there's, there's a lot of it that seems to, I guess, in a way, parallel something that I feel that Steve and I have put our finger on. And that is for a lot of people, there's, there's an initial 
experience that people often look back and go, there was this early point in my life where I had an experience and, and I can, I can think back to it, but it's been significant and it shaped my life and it's been with me. And to that experience, I've added this, this, this faith and I've added doing church, but I haven't necessarily grown this relational component. So there's, there's, there's an experience to which I've added, you know, a growing body of knowledge that, that we would generally call faith, like whatever the faith, faith component is for people as faith in God and understanding that is primarily rooted in scripture, but it's riding on the coattails of an early experience. And then it's a challenge to return to that. Is that similarly descriptive of your journey and this coming back to it? I think so. Yeah. yeah that was a good, probably a really good description of it. So so what happened probably around 2013, I was frustrated. We got this new 35-year-old. Now I'm probably like 55. So now there's this strange shift. I hopefully the listener, depending on, you know, I think every listener knows how old they are, right? So, so <laughs> you can kind of place, the listeners can place themselves. They're either, you know, 30, 40, 50, however. But when you start getting older than the pastor, like then, then I think there's a shift, right? So when I'm 25 and 30 and I'm going to these religious churches and organizations and I'm trying to figure things out, there's a natural respect for your elders, right? And, and for me, there was a big switch where all of a sudden, what I, didn't, I didn't presuppose against this 35-year-old guy when I'm 55. I was just curious about how this was going to play out. And he came with great credentials and seminary and maybe even a PhD and, you know, and, and I just listening and I'm, I, I kind of developed a very critical listening mindset, not, and, and, and really my reputation in this local church probably was that I was contrarian and contentious, but I would do it just in the moment. Like, I, I don't think I really carried it continuously and I would, I just wanted to engage in conversation and one very kind fellow uh, member at the church would say, well, Michael, people just don't like to go that deep. <laughs> so, so it's like you ask too many deep questions. That's not, and I don't ask the questions to like, cause I'm confused. It's more asking questions like, isn't there more here? Isn't there, isn't there something more than just doing a program and you know, doing a growth group and things like that. So, I mean, there were influences and specific um, experiences during this time, but I, the, the end result of it all was I said to myself, you know, Michael, you just have to take ownership over your spiritual consumption instead of looking to the pastor on a Sunday morning and trying to get fed or get direction just go, what do we say all the time? We always say like, go into the word, spend time in the word. And so nobody really teaches you how to do that. Like so many pastors and sermons will say, well, you got to spend more time in the word. And sometimes they say, read the Bible in a year and these kind of grandiose uh, challenges that are almost impossible to achieve, especially reading some things you wonder like, why am I reading Nebuchadnezzar things or what, what, what have you, right? I, I was attracted to the Apostle Paul because I always felt like when we read passages in Philippians and Ephesians, Galatians, that the words that Paul spoke, I felt like were instructive and that I could immediately put into practice in my life. So I was really curious about Paul and I started on a journey in about 2013 and I thought, who is this Paul guy? Let me read the scriptures and, and I started Googling like, what was he doing? What was his travel? When did he write what? And I kind of pieced together 
his writings, but then I notice, wait a minute, if I read the book of Acts, that gives me an overview of like everything that Paul was up to. But I mean, Paul doesn't show up until the ninth chapter of Acts, but um, he, he is the influential guy. And there's so many things I learned from just kind of trying to follow him and, and what was going on in the church. Yeah. So a lot of things started popping when I started being disciplined and I, I just read one chapter a day and trying to follow chronologically and so many things popped out at me. And going back to the seventies, we've got uh, people like Richard Foster. I don't know if you know Richard Foster, Dallas right. Willard, any of those guys. Yes. Yes. They, they put their finger on a similar, I guess in the same uh, vein or artery, but from a different perspective from people in the pulpit where they basically said that, you know, they're, they're, they're preaching and there's the realization that, that doing church has a certain, you know, it's a machinery that has got a particular outcome. And that outcome doesn't seem to be very conducive to producing Christ-like people at all. You know, that, that for all the preaching, all the teaching, there's very little change or effect. There's very little sense that this, this thing called church, that this word of God stuff is actually relevant to life and that. And so, you know, they, they similarly set about just from the pulpit side, you know, like, like revisiting the question of like, what is spirituality and what are the personal individual uh, disciplines? Like what, what is it that people need to be putting in practice and what is the changed relationship to the reading of scripture that they need and, and how does that play out in their life? And so in a sense, it's a similar, you know, I, I, I feel like there's, there's a lot of similarity there in the sense that it seems to me that, that, that scripture plays a central role here for you. You know, is that, is that a fair thing to, to look to? That, that, that for you, there's a changed relationship to how you read scripture. Yeah, right? yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how it is that you stumbled upon that for, your, for yourself. Yeah, so there, there's kind of like I felt a holy discontent with looking at, some, somebody gave me these man cards. You know, they have these like, you know, they want to inspire men to be better men and be better husbands and all these great, intentional aspirational thing so so one of the cards had first corinthians 13 something about paul saying when i was a child i thought as a child and but now i'm a man and i think as a man so on the flip side of the card said something like well see men you gotta grow up grow up man you know and and then i'm like this doesn't feel right to me and i and so so i went to first corinthians 13 and read the context of the chapter and it's it's really a beautiful chapter first corinthians 13 in so many ways and I felt like I was getting ripped off by this card or this, I was being, you know, directed to somebody else's agenda. Like they wanted me to be a better man based on what Paul said in the scripture. And, and that's a common thing that happens so many times, probably every Sunday, there's so many churches and so many ministers, you can find a scripture to match your agenda, especially if you only look at two verses. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to read these whole chapters. So I read, you know, I, I, and I wanted to have some kind of system, and even though I'm not a real big system guy. As an engineer, I would hope that there is some system guy in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a contrarian yeah. and contentious engineer as well. So I <laughs> I fight against the system a little bit. So, so, but I, I enjoyed, you know, trying to figure this Paul guy out and, and then also the book of Acts and then Luke and then, you know, and, and, and I started to notice, like, I'll just throw out a couple of observations that I like that most pastors, I've never heard pastors speak about them, but 
there's a million pastors out there. So there's probably some pastor somewhere that pointed this out, but like Paul did the great commission without the gospel of Matthew. So the scholars believe Matthew was written in like 65 to 70 AD. When I started looking at it, I go, wait a minute, Paul pretty much like got the gospel all over his area by the time like 65 AD. And he didn't have Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He just did it. You know, he just, and, and I love that because I, I mean, the Baptist, the, the churches I've been in, so many of them love the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And I've come to like really not like those verses, those two verses, just because it, I just, I know they're used so often to influence people either to like sacrifice or give money to the church and these kind of things. And that's just in my heart. Now I'm probably wrong and people can scream at me and say, Oh, Michael, you're, you're terrible for thinking that way. But I do look at it. I say, well, wow, the gospel went all over without the great commission. You know, (laughs) Paul didn't have it. And so what did Paul have? Well, he had the Holy spirit that, that he was, you know, born again. And, and I do like, there's, there's a debate. I'm not a Calvinist. I probably lean more Calvinism than I do Arminianism, but I look at Paul and I say, he was standing there when Stephen was being martyred and watching that happen. He knew about Jesus because he had to be in Jerusalem and knew that Christ had been crucified. And the story was that he rose from the dead. But, but Paul had, he had no faith. He's like watching a guy get murdered for his faith and it didn't phase him at all. And he, and, and he's smart, right? I mean, he knows all the old Testament, but it, you know, God had to intervene and I, you know, in a very dramatic way on the way to Damascus. And I, I look at that and I go, well, see, you can't really convince somebody by, by preaching at them or even having someone die right in front of them. I mean, can you imagine if you put yourself, if you added any one of us who saw someone like die right in front of them for what they believed in, you'd think it would have a huge influence on us, right? You know, just looking into contemporary history, I think we see a lot of Middle Eastern people dying and professing their faith. I, I feel like in some ways it's got such a negative rap, the whole thing of people dying for their faith and generally taking other people with them. <laughs> There's not much of the, of the flip side of people being put to death for their faith and, and there being something else to it. I, I just want to to dip back um, dip back for a second because you you make the statement that 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 Paul didn't have the Great Commission. I, I feel like it's a bit of a tricky one to look at because sure, surely the Matthew as a product hadn't been penned, but the whole gestalt or the whole worldview of of those early apostles were people that were present to Christ being Christ commissioning them. And so, although you know Matthew or the community around Matthew penned a text later, the whole idea of the Great Commission was very much a big part of what propelled them along. Yeah, and and so um, I appreciate. It. I love being you know not just accepting what I'm saying. That's that's good. <laughs> so I, I acknowledge that from from you, <laughs> and it's awesome. So so what, I, what my thoughts were. Um, uh, my my men's group I'm kind of I'm leading is they, they they get tired of me but there's this huge Jewish and Gentile thing and it comes out in the book of Acts and so what I love is how Peter and John and James they have some meeting eventually with with Paul and and Peter and John said well we're we're going to go to the Jews 
and 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 Paul, you can go to the Gentiles. Okay, so and, and I'm sure you guys know the scriptures really well. And then that's a really big deal. This Gentile faith, right? Like people, like they really had a trouble, and they wanted they wanted Gentiles to get circumcised. So so to me, yeah, I, I see what you're saying that they, you know, want to do the Great Commission, or you know, maybe Paul Paul picked that up from the original twelve, but yeah. I'm pretty sure Paul didn't really get along with those original 12 guys or 11, right. Too well. Like he, there's passages where he only spent two weeks with Peter and they moved on and, you know, there's some kind of a, and then in Galatians 2, 11 is like one of my favorite verses where Paul says he opposed Peter to his face, you know, and that's the kind of guy I am. I, I, I don't mind a little bit of opposition. So, so. And and I think also one of the themes in, in so many American churches is harmony. They want harmonious relationships. And here, here I go, wait a minute, you got Paul is like opposing Peter to his face. So they're not really getting along. Um, John kind of makes fun of Peter as well at the end of uh, uh, John 21, which is a great passage that I, I wouldn't mind talking about as well. And then Barnabas, Barnabas loves John Mark. And he's like, he, he gets into it with, with Paul and they separate on the second missionary journey. So I think what, what gets lost in a lot of churches is that, oh, we gotta be harmonious. You know, we all gotta get along. We should all be the same or something. And I'm like, I could, those are four major characters in the story of the New Testament of, of the rollout of Christianity. And they didn't get along, right? So I don't know why we're pushing each other to like be harmonious. So in, in terms of some of, just some of the, the last, let's say five, 10 minutes of the conversation, um, some of what I hear you saying, I'm just going to reflect quickly and then I'll try and put a question in there somewhere. <laughs> okay. There's obviously something in, in, in the church system presently, but I hear this kind of growing agitation, right? Right. Around this, this phrase of it's not, an, it's, it's not enough. There's got to be more. And, and I, I sort of, I wonder without wanting to put words into your mouth, whether that's the sense of, of, Paul has discovered something more as opposed to just a proof text that somebody's shoved down his throat, you know, the great commission, that there's something else stimulating what he's up to uh, as opposed to just, you know, a, a piece of text that's been written on a, on a man card as you talk about those. And, and so I'm interested, there's this kind of this transition, it seems like there's, there's an agitation, there's this kind of, you know, the nest is kind of uncomfortable sort of space to move out. And then there's this yearning for something more. In a way, what I hear you describing is almost a, a reopening of your eyes around the scriptures, um, you know, reading, study, that sort of stuff. How would you detail, I guess there's kind of two parts to this as I'm thinking through. What is it that's the agitation? What is it that you're looking at, at you know, the, the, the SBC kind of feel and, and the church kind of feel and the institution sort of feel, whatever that might be, that's just going, no, no, this doesn't fit. It's not working. It's, it's not right. You know, I hear you raising some of that, you know, which just, it sounds like I'm listening to myself in some way, like, no, don't ask those questions. <laughs> this is not a place for deep thought. Like, oh, okay, well, where the hell am I supposed to go? <laughs> if this is not a place for deep questions and thought, you know, it's, what's kind of going on there? And then, and then the journey into kind of, kind of out from that into something more. Is is there more that you'd want to share around the more, um, having explored, you know, kind of a, a 
new way of looking, reading, study, etc. And then you speak of the, the, I would say, the person of the Holy Spirit. And here I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately choosing my words here. So th that's, that's quite broad. Does it make sense? The agitation of the leaving, discovering things new, and then talk to me a little bit about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, perhaps. Uh, does that make sense? In a yeah, I can, I, I can run with that. I, I mean, hopefully I can get the right way of articulating what I, you know, I feel in my heart and want to express. So I, everyone listening, we all have our lived experience, right? So I go back to my Roman Catholic father and being, you know, going Lutheran, being born again, which is more evangelical. And, and there was these times where I, I probably was arguing with my dad and when I was 17 or 18, like, oh, Roman Catholics, you guys are wrong. You know, and, and, and fortunately I had the experience, my dad passed away 10 years ago and it in, had a big influence on me. Cause I was with my dad, the, his caretaker said he was 88 and he's like, I think this is it. You need to go talk to your dad. So that night I, I was, he was bed, bedridden and had battled through all kinds of things in his life, but he made it to 88 and he had a tough life and, and it wasn't easy. Uh, and he said to me, I hope I did enough. <laughs> and that's where I kind of, I chuckled to myself. I'm thinking, here's my dad. He's been trying his hardest to be a faithful Roman Catholic. And he doesn't have peace at the end of his life. And uh, I just, all I could do is say, dad, you'll be fine. I know my 18, I know my 18 year old self would be like, well, I don't know, dad, you, you better pray that, you know, ask Jesus into your life and be born again. Got to get your passport sorted. <laughs> but, but, I, but at this point, God, my journey had somehow thought and said, wait a minute, my, my dad, uh, he went to mass all the time. And you, you, you look, I'm pretty sure they have a crucified Christ right in front of them every Sunday morning and they do mass. So, so he's getting the message. And my conclusion from that was, you know, my dad's fine. He, he, he believes in Christ. And I think there's a passage in first John four that says, if you believe that Jesus came and is from the son of God, that's from the Holy spirit. You know, you can't, you can't claim to know that. So I thought my, so basically my conclusion was my, the church experience from my dad was terrible. You know, it's like, he never got peace, but it wasn't because he didn't have faith. It was like, he was being guided by people that didn't really help him out a whole lot. Uh, and I, don't, I think I think you probably catch what I'm saying there. So that's my dad, right? So I may have drifted off. So this is my lived experience. So the listener, you don't have that experience. So you have your own experience. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit speaks to me and like, well, Michael, that's that's these events happened in your life. You had no control over any of this. You have no control of what family you're born into, right? And And so I feel this tension of like, I would go to, you know, what I call it like happy, happy churches where, you know, the minister may have grown up in this beautiful leave it. We call it leave it the beaver family. I don't know. There's a TV show from the sixties, right? So leave it to beaver family with June and Ward Cleaver. And it's like, everything's wonderful. And they go to church. So like they, everything's wonderful, but I, I go there. I'm like, I'm not coming from that background. I mean, my, my background's like, so I get a bit ang you know, anxious or antsy with this situation and that's why the more is there. And, and then on the, the Paul, I love reading the book of Acts because I, I, he does, like there was a point where he was supposed to go to Macedonia and has a vision, right? So 
so this this happened in real time, like it just happened that day, and then they go. And so I think there's so much strategy there in, and I, you know, these missionary, I, I do have kind of a, I don't know why I have this angst against the Great Commission, but I, I, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's a couple of verses in the Bible that have been called the Great Commission, right? So just naming it kind of bugs me. But so Paul goes to Macedonia and he's, he doesn't have a strategy. He's not like, where's the list of the unreached people groups that I need to go to, right? So that I, I kind of connect today's 2000, year 2000 Christianity with, with, the, with, the God, with the Bible, right? 60, 70 AD. And Paul's just following the Holy Spirit. And I, one of these, the, sometimes churches do a series like, okay, we're going to read through the book of Acts and over the next two months, and we're going to give a sermon each week. And the title was the unleashing of the gospel. And to me, it was like, oh, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> Knowing Mike, this is Michael, right? That's wrong. It's not the unleashing of the gospel. It's the unleashing of the Holy Spirit to me. It's like, how could it not be the unleashing of the Holy Spirit? Because, you know, Jesus chapter one, I'm leaving and I'm sending, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He didn't say, you're going to receive power when I codify the gospel for you. You know, it's no, it's the Holy Spirit in chapter two. And then so much happens throughout the whole book of Acts, which is God is as acting and doing things and directing and sending Peter to Cornelius and all these strange things. You know, it's all God is still active. And I, I feel like I've lost that going to church and trying to be correct and have the right doctrines and read the scriptures and it's like, wait a minute. So let's, it's been there as Rob Bell. I think you guys like Rob Bell a bit too. Rob Bell says it's been there the whole time, right? So the Holy Spirit has been there the whole time. It's like, we just don't see it or we don't want to look for it. So that's why I encourage people read, look for the Holy Spirit. Where is God alive then? And now in 2021, God is still alive now. So there's something happening. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This seemed like a natural place just to break the conversation and uh, join us next week as we complete the conversation with Michael Ward.